you're between the ages of four to eight, you're excused to kids' club. one's run. This past week, my son attended VBS at Triumph. Road. Uh, if you know that, I saw so many of you there. Um, Triumph, by the way, welcomes our kids in their VBS. They're a great church, and we're thankful for their partnership. But on our way home, due to all the crazy amount of construction in Moorhead, sometimes it would take Pierce and I 20, 25 minutes to get home. So we were talking one day, and I asked him, I said, Pierce, what are you learning at VBS? So he told me in his seven-year-old voice, Dad, I already know all of this stuff. So I said, Pierce, what do you think the point of VBS is? He said, Dad, I think it's to teach kids about Jesus. I said, okay. So how do you know about Jesus? He said, Dad, because I go to a great church. So I smiled, puffed up my chest a little bit, and said, yes, you And then asked, what about kids who don't go to church? How do they hear about Jesus? He said, well, I heard about Jesus at Park Christian School. I said, well, that's right. But do all kids go to Park? He said, no. He said, well, then how else would they hear about Jesus? Well, I learned about Jesus from you and Mom. I said, that's good. But do all kids have Christian parents? And he said, no. So I said, so how do those kids hear about Jesus? And Pierce said, Somebody has to tell them. That Pierce is a smart kid. Somebody has to tell them. In 1971, an old geeky man wearing glasses named Ralph McEwen. I describe him that way because that's how... Old geeky man wearing glasses. Walked to the campus of McCollum High School in Austin, Texas. Ralph regularly went to this campus to meet with high school students, to make a point of knowing their names, to build relationships with them, to become friends with them. And on this particular visit, he befriended a young man with a girl's name named Kim Talley. Over that year, Ralph met with Kim several times and invited him to go on a ski retreat. It was on that ski retreat that Kim Talley, a self-described beer-drinking, pot-smoking high school kid, first heard the gospel heard that Jesus Christ died for him. And it was on that retreat that Kim Talley gave his life to Christ. Now let me push it forward a couple decades. In 1989, Kim Talley, now himself a young life leader, walked onto the campus of Memorial High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He too went there regularly to meet high school kids, to learn their names, to build relationships with them. And it was that year that I started attending Young Life. I'd always been a good kid, I grew, up, I grew up in a family that regularly attended church, but it was the summer after my freshman year in high school through the ministry of Young Life that I first heard the gospel in a way that pierced my heart, that I first heard that Jesus Christ had died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again, and that by believing in him and trusting in him that I could have a new life, and I started a relationship with Jesus Christ that summer. This summer... We're walking through the parables of Jesus Christ as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. We're walking through Matthew 13 and several other chapters, looking at a series we've entitled, The Storyteller, 
highlighting the fact that Jesus loved to tell stories, to tell stories with a point, to communicate truth, but more importantly, as a means to disciple his disciples, to teach them about the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we're going to look at two small parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. So turn with me into Matthew 13. Matthew 31 says this, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Now when we step into this parable, we have to be reminded that Jesus in Matthew 13 is sitting on a boat, has pushed out from the shore and is teaching a large crowd. He's teaching all these parables in one large sitting. So he's taught them the parable of the sower about the one who casts seed generously. You'll remember that some of it landed on the path and was eaten by the birds. And some of it landed on the rocky ground, had no depth, and was scorched by the sun. And that some of it landed amongst the thorns and was choked out. But finally, some of it landed on the good soil. And we made the point that Jesus his disciples. Should I switch to this, Mike? Doesn't matter to me. This one keeps going in and out. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And when I say his disciples, I absolutely mean the 11. But I also mean that Jesus is teaching everyone who's following Jesus. So if you follow Jesus, then you're called to be his disciples. You're called to become like him, to be under his discipleship, and to take on his ministry. And so if you're following Jesus, he's speaking to you. So what he's teaching them in this parable is as the sower sows all these seeds, they get a variety of responses. And of all these responses, they'll regularly be rejected, but to continue to sow generously. So Jesus keeps teaching them in these parables and gives them the parable of the weeds. He teaches them that a man who has sown good seed in a field, but that the man's not the only sower. The enemy has also sowed seeds. And in this parable, he teaches the disciples the reality of eternity and of judgment and of all that is at stake in the kingdom. And he projects to them that there'll be many who look like good seed and aren't, and he's preparing them to be sowers, and he's preparing you to be a sower. We finished last week by noting that if these were the only parables given, that as the disciples were told to go and sow, and that you'd hardly ever be successful... And even when you are, you're never going to know what your fruit looks like, that it could just be weeds and not wheat. It could be pretty discouraging. So we recount these parables because Jesus taught them together. They're intended to go together. They progress. So rather than leaving his disciples in this place to say, go and sow, not knowing what it will take, he gives them a third parable and then a fourth He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So we have the seed, then we have the good seed, and now we have a mustard seed. And again, the man takes this mustard seed and he sows it into the ground. And this is how he continues in verse 32. Mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. 
So let's pause for a second and talk about parables for just a moment. Because Jesus is using a story here, a metaphor. In fact, he's using a simile. I know he's using a simile because he's using like or as. And in elementary school, I learned the difference between a metaphor and a simile is the use of like or as. I actually Googled it. It's a little bonus grammar review. <clears throat> That's my voice, not my phone. But here's the point. Jesus is drawing a comparison between the kingdom of heaven and a very small seed. Now, I make this point to tell you he's making this comparison because it's been argued by some that the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds, and therefore the Bible is unreliable. That's crazy. And in fact, it's a huge step in missing the point. Because Jesus here isn't teaching about seeds, he's teaching about the kingdom. But just for the sake of it, let's step into some cultural awareness. To a first century Jewish farmer, and inevitably this is who Jesus is talking to, it was certainly the smallest seed that one might sow in a garden. In fact, I brought you a picture of a black mustard seed, the kind you'd find in Israel. It's pretty small, isn't it? It is not by far the smallest seed. Now, you can find orchid seeds that are a quarter to a tenth of its size, but these weren't found in Israel. So they'd have no awareness of it. So Jesus referring to a plant that they had no awareness of wouldn't have made sense, would it? So Jesus, using a mustard seed, the smallest seed that existed in their area, the smallest seed that you'd ever plant in a garden, becomes his metaphor, and it becomes the text that he uses And by the way, it's well known that these same first century Israelite mustard seeds were known to grow as tall as 10 to 12 feet, which is why I provided the next picture to you. So you could see an Israeli mustard tree, which would produce Israeli mustard. Now, if you look at the tree, you could easily find a nest in a tree this size, and it would easily provide shade to birds, and we'll talk about that in a little while. But the point is, that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom and also happens to be a decent first century Jewish botanist. Jesus knew about mustard seeds because he knew his culture. And Jesus knew that they were commonly used in his culture as a metaphor for the smallest of things. In fact, later in Matthew, he will quote Jesus again using the mustard seed simile, calling on them to have faith like a mustard seed. You'll see Matthew 17, 20. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountains, move from here to there and it will move. He's pointing out to them, if you have faith that is so small and he uses a measuring tool, a mustard seed, because it is so small. Which is the point of this parable, I think. That Jesus says that there's a very small thing. In fact, it's the smallest thing that the Jewish person could consider. And that it's going to grow into something quite incredibly large. In fact, the biggest thing in the garden. And I'm not smart enough to take that into our understanding. So I'll step out of my comfort zone and tell you it'd be something like saying a scientist sowed an atom. I could go electron, proton, and neutron, but my understanding starts to get vague and grows into something like the universe because that's the biggest conceivable thing I can get to. Jesus is making a point here 
that something so small and insignificant grew into something substantial and life-giving. In 1971, when Ralph McEwen walked onto a high school campus and met Kim Talley, do you think he had a plan? I don't think he did. I think he was loving people. And I think he was pursuing people that God put in his path. And I think he was a faithful sower. And I have no idea how many people Ralph led to the Lord over the years. Though I'm told he was an incredible man. So that number's in the hundreds or thousands. I'm told he was an incredible man. He sowed into the life of Kim Talley. And I have no idea how many people Kim Talley sowed into. But I do know that he sowed into my life. And in 1990, when he showed up on my campus and began to love me and knew my name, did he understand the influence he'd have? I don't think he did. I think he was being faithful about sowing seeds in front of the people that were before him. And I have no idea how fruitful his ministry was, but I can tell you this. He had a profound impact on my brother, my sister, and most of my high school friends, and countless, countless others. He was a faithful sower. Now, I firmly and solidly believe in the sovereignty of God. And he could have used any means at all to bring me to salvation. But it's fun to think how the Lord used Ralph McEwen to influence Kim Talley. And to use Kim Talley to influence me. And then to use me to influence you. So somewhere in that metaphor, you look back and you think, Ralph McEwen's a spiritual grandfather to me and we've never met. That a man who's in his 80s, who lives in Garland, Texas... By the way, I spent some time trying to get a hold of him this week. I'm going to keep trying to pursue that. Because I want to know who led him to the Lord. And I want to know that story. But to think that a man who lives in Garland, who has no understanding at all of the influence that his life has had, because he poured into a man in Austin, Texas, who poured into a high school kid in, tech, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I stand here pouring into you. Now, friends, it would be easy for you to sit here and to think, I'm no Ralph, I'm no Kim, or I'm no Ben. And to that, I tell you, you don't know any of us that well. We're not that impressive. You might think I'm just a small, insignificant thing that could not be used by God. And if that would be your response, I would press you into this illustration to tell you that Jesus chose the mustard seed. Why? Because it was the smallest, most insignificant thing in their culture. He used this as an illustration, as a simile, to point to him. That if a mustard seed grows into a huge tree, what does it look like for you to be a sower? The answer is, you have no idea. You're called to sow faithfully. And I think this is what he's teaching his disciples. I think you see it played out in my life, in Kim Talley's life, in Ralph McEwen's life. And if you wonder how that worked... Consider the fact that we're sitting in Moorhead, Minnesota, totally inconceivable to a first century Jewish person. And that somebody, when Jesus instructed his disciples, these 11 men went and spread out and shared the gospel. And they told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. And even if you'll give me basic generational math 
there's 65 other somebodies before we get to us. So some 75, 80, 100 people have been incredibly faithful to the Lord and sowing seeds, whether that was your parents, your grandparents, a Sunday school teacher, a young life leader, a youth leader, or what, somebody was faithful to sow Jesus Christ into your life. What are you doing with that seed? Because that's what Jesus is pushing to these disciples for, having put these two metaphors already before them of the good seed and then the parable of the weeds. So generously, so generously, so generously. Know that it won't always be successful. No, you won't always know what the fruit looks like. But it's going to get big. It's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. And this brings him to his next parable. In verse 33, he told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. One of my seminary professors, Mark Bailey, said this, wrote this, whereas the parable of the mustard seed answers the question of whether the phase of the kingdom planted by Jesus would survive, the parable of the leavening process answers how. So Jesus leans in and tells them that not only will the seed grow into a tree, You want to know what that's going to look like, how it's going to work. So Jesus gives them a baking simile. I would have said metaphor, but like or as shows up again, and I'm still working on grammar. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Or it's like yeast, as you and I might call it. A woman took some yeast, and she put it in three measures of flour. Now, a measure of flour in Greek is a satan. It's about 13 liters of flour. Google, again, helps me out here to know that three satans of flour would roughly measure 170 cups of flour, which is way more than you could borrow from your neighbor. Basically, 47 pounds of flour. Little yeast, 47 pounds of flour. And it was all leavened. Jesus is pushing these disciples so that they will understand that the small seed, the smallest, most insignificant thing, will grow into a huge tree when it's sown. And that a little bit of yeast, even a little bit, will impact the entire world. It's the nature of yeast. That once it starts the process of leavening, it can't be stopped. It will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow. So friends, let me ask you this. When I look back in my life and I can think of faithful men like Kim Talley and Ralph McEwen who pushed the gospel down, now I can sit back and think, what do I want to do with the gospel? Do I want to have spiritual children? And do I want to have spiritual grandchildren? And do I want to have spiritual great-grandchildren? And do I want to have spiritual great-great-great-grandchildren? Because somebody told Billy Graham about Jesus. And in fact, if you read that story, he's not a well-known guy. And we have that opportunity every day to become sowers. And this is what Jesus is putting before his disciples. So generously. So generously, 
so generously and so generously. It won't always work out. You don't know whether you'll be rejected most of the time. So generously. And even the fruit you produce may turn out to be a weed, but so generously. Because as you sow generously, these little seeds can turn into giant trees and can provide shade to the birds. God makes a point here to point out that there's a a blessing to the world, that the birds might be comforted by this tree. And takes it a step further to say that even a little yeast impacts everything. And that's what the gospel has done. Conservatively speaking, there are a billion to two billion Christians on this planet. I think the gospel spread, hasn't it? Yes. Are there still people around us who don't know it? Yes. So who gets the job of telling them? We do. It's our jobs here to be the sowers. This is Jesus discipling his disciples. Putting before them the very need to become seed sowers. Friends, as you push through these parables, they're about building the kingdom of God. They're about building the kingdom of heaven. And how do you do that? Yeah, I love it when people answer questions. You do it by sowing seeds. You do it by sharing Now, I totally grant you that if you walk through the Bible, there's a spiritual gift of evangelism, and I have no doubt we've got some people here who have it. And we'd look at those people and go, man, they're awesome at sharing the gospel. I'm not. Here's the funny part. Though it might be a spiritual gift given in the New Testament, it's also a command given to all believers. So we don't get to look at somebody and say, hey, he'll do it. We get to look at us and say, it's my job. And you don't have to be awesome at it. You don't even have to be good. You just have to be willing. You have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. This is why as we pushed through 1 Peter, we pushed into the fact that persecution will come, challenges will come, temptations will come, that there'll be pushback on you being open with the truth, and it will create awkward times. Even this week, I got another email of an awkward moment someone had being incredibly faithful with sharing the gospel with somebody. Friends, whether it lands on rocky path or whether it lands in good soil, our job is to sow generously and to sow generously and to sow generously and to let Jesus build the kingdom. He calls us to intentionally place small seeds. Not big ones, small seeds. Knowing full well that some will be rejected, always know the fruit. But the kingdom is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all the garden seeds that grows into a tree. Friends, we're called to sow generously to leave a spiritual legacy because the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman folded into flour and it kept growing and growing and growing until his work was accomplished. And someday, when every tribe and every nation knows Jesus, according to the book of Revelation, he will return. His work will be finished. 
And he gives us the sweet grace of participating in the process that we could have first row seats to watch him work, to watch him reach people, to watch people come to a knowledge and an understanding of salvation, that it is only Jesus Christ, that it is only his death and his resurrection that can save us. It's not our good works. It's not our good deeds. It's not about us. It's about him. So Jesus pushes his disciples to sow. And in so doing, he pushes us to sow. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you called a man named Ralph. By Kim's description, an old geeky guy who didn't fit in. Father, he wasn't cool, didn't try to be, but he loved well and spread seed, sowed it generously. Thank you, Father, that you called Kim Talley into your kingdom. Father, he showed up on my college campus as a strange guy with a mustache. Father, I remember we made fun of him. We never understood why an old guy hung out with us until we realized the influence he had. Father, I give you thanks that Kim Talley loved me enough to share Jesus with me. And Father, thank you that you've given me the right to share Jesus with lots of folks too. Father, you use people to sow seed and to build spiritual families. And someday, Father, we'll stand in eternity and get to meet and greet people we never even knew, but who heard from people we told. And Father, what a great, 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 Experience that will be giving you worship, Father, for how you used our willingness to step out in faith and trust you. God, this is about you. It's about you building your kingdom. And Father, we pray that you'd continue to do it. And Father, we know that you build your kingdom through the faithful obedience of your servants, honoring you and working to build your kingdom. Father, keep teaching us, keep discipling us, And keep showing us all that you have for us. Amen.